This is Encounters, a dialogue that brings you multifaceted life stories you don't want to miss. My father had come to visit me actually on the 10th of September. But at that time, I was actually sitting on a 300-page manuscript that talked about his father. But for 10 years, he had not been interested to hear about who his father was or who his mother was. It was that night. We had a lovely evening, and then he left. The next day, stuff happens. I see the second airplane. I mean, the whole, you know, New York is a different experience. Anyway, my father's plane's canceled, and it's the night of the 12th of September. He comes back for dinner in our place in Upper East Side, and it's there that I say, Papa, I don't know why you weren't interested in the story, but I'm going to have to tell you everything I know because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. That weekend, my father called me. And whereas before, he and I used to speak fairly intermittently, but from that weekend on, there hasn't been a weekend where he hasn't called. One of the things that I, I've observed is that people who have the sense of purpose generally have passed through a life-changing experience. That year you were 37. That's right. Maybe my impulsion here is to say, don't wait for a life-changing moment to get out and say, I love you to the people that you love. She has a little name for me, you know, like a code name for me. And uh, Is that secret? <laughs> well, it's sort of, it's revealing. And I okay. don't mean to be, you know, applauding myself, but it's uh -huh. a very lovely word, uh, which talks about beauty. And it's, it's more the beauty within that she's focusing on. She doesn't always say it. What is that word? Well, it's, it's a French word. It's beauté, which means beauty. And, ah. But it, it's always her way of saying that's what's important. So you are her beauty, right? That's it. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Man Ling. My guest today is Minter Dial, an American writer, professional speaker, and consultant. One of Minter's works is the award-winning documentary film and book that he produced and wrote, The Last Ring Home. It won the Book Excellence Award 2018 in the biography category. The Last Ring Home is the story of Minter's grandfather's missing ring, which miraculously made its way home 17 years after he was killed in World War II as a Japanese prisoner of war. Minter's quest to uncover the story began in 1991 when he received a phone call from a woman looking for a man with the same name as him. They all began by mistake. I, by mistake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a bumbling idiot, 25-year-old or something, 26 years old, and I was in Washington, D.C., and the way it began is just like this. I'm at my desk and 12 employees and thinking I'm really important in a telephone call. In which company? At L'Oreal? Nope. No, no. no this is I, Some other a startup company? I did. And uh, it was called uh, the Myriad Group, and we were a travel agency for musicians. And so I'm thinking I'm very important. And telephone call. Minter, I call for you. I take the call. Hi, this is Minter Dahl. Oh, I can't believe I'm speaking to you. So, well, <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'm important to myself, but yeah. <laughs> you know, really, well, what can I do for you, ma'am? And she says, well, I've been looking for you for years. I was like, oh, uh -huh. well, what do you mean? Who, who are you looking for? I'm looking for Nathaniel Minterdial. I said, well, this is, that's, that's me. You, you don't sound very old. old. Well, thank you very much. I'm 25 years old. Uh, she said, no, no, no. I, I mean, I've been looking for you for decades. I'm like, 
oh my gosh. I haven't born yet. Exactly. So <laughs> anyway, so this woman was looking oh, for my grandfather and it was the head of um, a recruitment from a school to which he'd gone to as a 12 year old. They're the schoolmates? Still, no, they're no. still the same school. Uh-huh. And the person who was calling me was trying to get all the classmates back from that year. And, and so she had been looking for all the classmates. It's not easy. It's not like you have a you know, magic wand. She's building an alumni that's sort a, of book. Exactly. Ah, uh, okay. And so that's how she fell upon me. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. So she got your name on the yellow book? Well, actually from a newspaper. So I, newspaper? No, I just, just arrived in Washington. She lived nearby in a neighborhood and read the newspaper said, oh my gosh, there he is. Your grandfather went to that school in the same district, right? That's right. And you were there and physically. I, exactly. Wow. You know, crazy. Goodness. And I didn't even know that because he was from South Carolina. I was in Washington, Maryland, and my grandfather had come been brought up in South Carolina, which is about, you know, 700 miles south of Washington. Uh -huh. But because my great-grandfather, his father, had been a senator Politician, I Politician. know. Politician. Yeah. He moves to Washington. That's how my grandfather ends up going to school there. Okay. But I just hadn't computed that. I was too important or had other things to think about than this. So you're important to yourself. Oh, exactly. You know, big, you know, big head. Anyway, all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So you are in touch with some of his classmates mm. from back in the 20s. Wow. Can I contact them? She said, no. Oh, no. Okay. Well, what you can do is you can write me letters and I will post them to the individuals. And so I did that, sent them to her. Because She's, they were already very old. That's right. right. And she wanted to be discreet mm, protected about them. Exactly. Yes. And so anyway, I ended up getting eight letters back and that's how it began. Started. During the Second World War, Minter's grandfather, a US Navy officer, was taken prisoner by the Japanese. He died in 1945. Before he died, Lieutenant Minter Dial gave his Annapolis Naval Academy ring to his friend and asked him to pass it on to his wife. The ring was lost in 1945 until it was discovered in 1962 by a Korean laborer in Incheon during the excavation of a site of a former prisoner of war camp. Born in Belgium to two American parents, Minter, of course, didn't get the chance to meet his grandfather himself. After receiving the surprising phone call, Minter spent 25 years conducting 130 interviews, researching the life and death of his grandfather. The exceptional journey took him around the world, and more importantly, it allowed him to get closer to his father. I'm curious about how you grow up. Um, you were born in Brussels, in yep. Belgium, yep. and you are telling me now you're an American. American citizen, yeah. And you got primary school education in the UK. That's correct. And you grew up in America. Can you give me an idea why you've been moving around all the time? I mean, your childhood and until even now, after you work for the L'Oreal, you've been in four different countries, right? That's right. Well, so I was born in Belgium to two American parents. My father had been given an assignment for Ford Motor Company. Ah, and it was Ford. his first job. Hmm. And uh, he met my mother in Philadelphia and he said, marry me and see the world. 
And she, oh, so, so she signed up. So she followed. That's right. So <laughs> they, they went to Belgium, they moved to France, where I started going to school, then they moved to London, where I continued schooling. In so England. it's all Ford, right? That was Ford, Ford, Ford. And then okay. my father moved back to Paris. Uh, my parents divorced, my mum moved to America. I was left to school in England, and my father was working at Ford. He was the CEO of Ford France. And then he became number two for Peugeot, the French Peugeot, uh, yeah. motor company, staying in France. And I went to university after that in America. So I had become Americanized at the age of 18 or 19. While your father was still in Europe. So and he was you in went, Paris. And you went back to America. That's right. That was Why? actually the first time I'd been to America. Why? Why? To, you were separated. Live. You were sent away. Well, I let's say I was <laughs> sent away much <laughs> They don't younger. want to see. That's they didn't right. want to see. <laughs> right. So I, I did that traditional English thing of going to prep school when I was seven years old. So I started at boarding school at seven years old. My parents were in London for maybe the first part of the year and then they moved to France. Mm -hmm. So I was in school from seven until 18, say eight to 18, that's pretty easy, in England at boarding school. And my holidays were essentially either going to Paris or going to America or going with my friends elsewhere. That was how I began my life. Do you have a good relationship with your parents? Well, I your do. Your mom? And it's Dad. changed over time quite dramatically. My mom's in America and my father's in Switzerland and neither of them is in particularly good health now. So it's about accompanying them in this journey. Yes. And I can say that my relationship with my mom has been pretty darn wonderful most of our lives. Uh, with my father, it changed dramatically. Why? Uh, well, it, it all happened one night. <laughs> one night? Yeah, one night, if you can believe. But it wasn't just any old night. It was a day in September when he came to visit me in New York from France. And How old were you then? I was 37 years old. Uh -huh. And it was also the night of the 12th of September, 2001. So that was a a pretty kooky time to be in New York. And uh, my father had come to visit me actually on the 10th of September to have dinner. And we cooked, my wife and cooked a wonderful dinner for him. And, and we had a lovely sat down and talked about things like the weather and the New York Yankees. But at that time, I was actually sitting on a 300-page manuscript that talked about his father. But for 10 years, he had not been interested to hear about who his father was or who his mother was. And bearing in mind that he'd given me his father's name. So it was that night, we had a lovely evening, and then he left. The next day, stuff happens. I see the second airplane, I mean, the whole, you know, New York is a different experience. Anyway, my father's plane's cancelled, and he comes back for dinner, and it's the night of the 12th of September, he comes back for dinner in our place in Upper East Side, and it's there that I say, Papa, I don't know why you weren't interested in the story, but I'm going to have to tell you everything I know because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Time to rebound. That's it. And I told him the story, five hours, tears, extraordinary wow. moment. You have to bear in mind, we're in, in Manhattan. and I know. It was rough. It was, I know. You know. There was the stench, there was the smoke. I know. There was the look in people's eyes. I was fear. in London. You were in London. Yeah. And that weekend, my father called me and whereas before he and I used to speak fairly intermittently, but see each other every two years, from that weekend on, there hasn't been a weekend where he hasn't called. Wow. Sometimes, yeah, this is a very touching story, but sometimes I think that it takes too long, too 
costly an incident like 9-11 right. to teach us how to cherish, right? One of the things that I, I've observed is that people who have the sense of purpose generally have passed through a life-changing experience. That year you were 37. That's right. And that was the unforgettable Manhattan nights. That's right. Tens, elevens, and twelves. For sure. My and goodness. actually then I, I mean, the week went on and I had a lot of other experiences. But what I, maybe my impulsion here is to say, don't wait for a life-changing moment to get out and say, I love you to the people that you love. But it's always the hindsight. That's right. People are just so stubborn. They wait. They, yeah, they, not wait. They missed out yeah. sometimes. If there's not such a, a thing happen in life, they right. would just, you know, missed out their relationship or good sort of time with your loved ones. Okay, let's go back to things you mentioned. Your father gave you your grandpa's name. That's right. Why? family tradition in the first place his my so my great grandfather was called nathaniel barksdale dial his son was called nathaniel minter dial my father was called nathaniel victor dial so it was normal that i was nathaniel something dial and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's how i was given his name and and clearly by the time i was born in 1964 his father had been killed in the war and so it's his recognition or memory of his father does your father have a clear memory of his own father, oh, your grandpa? N- nothing. He lost nothing. That, well, the last time too he saw young, him, he was right? two, two years old. So that was a lot, you know, was not old enough to have any sufficient memories. Afterwards, it's, it's the feelings that were about him that he remembers. Okay, your first book, which is a acclaim, the book. Really good. I'll win some prizes, right? Yeah. Very good. Um, and also made into a document documentary first, right? Book later. Well, actually, together. Together. <laughs> I, I like to do things parallel. the hard way. In parallel. <laughs> because what happened was I got uh, invited to show my film. Actually, the beginning, it was just a small heirloom film. Small budget, just for us, for the family. Like the manuscript I'd written Self for my budget? father. Self-budget, okay. 100%. Mm-hmm. Then by circumstance, it was shown to a friend who showed it to his friend. And that friend happened to be president of PBS East Coast, which is the large television station, public broadcasting service. Okay, l- let me try to do the timing. You mentioned the 9-11, the one night, yeah. uh, dramatic changes between your relationship with your father. Did that book come later? So much later. Okay. Your father, starting from that point of time, he started to contribute in telling you things that he knew. Wow. So then that night, I promised to take him to the Philippines to see on the 60th anniversary of the death of his father. But you have already started writing, right? Oh, I had written this manuscript, 300 pages. So I, 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 you have already started the project at this time, yes. Mm-hmm. But I didn't write it as a book to be published. I wrote it as a manuscript for my father. Ah, you want your father to know his father. That's it. You are actually searching for the root. That's of my, my own as well. In but the why it's it comes from you, not from your father? Well, it's a lot easier for me. It's because, too painful well, for him. Much too painful. Okay, and he met your grandpa just at the age of. Two, no. and you have never met him yourself. No. And now, how much do you claim you know your grandpa? After all the research, the book, the documentary, you bring back him to life. Yeah. Not only for your own family, your father, you, your mom, your children, and your, your siblings in the future, but to the whole world. Yeah. Why do you think that that part of history is worth remembering? Why? Well, there's 
there's a couple of big things in there. One of them is it's a part of history that is not taught in the United States, and yet it was the largest defeat that the Americans had ever had in their history. It's a shame they don't want to. That's right. You, you talk about you, you learn through defeat, uh, and at least you know the victor always writes the history books. So that the shame there is the mistreatment of the prisoners during the Second World War. Forty-two percent of the prisoners were killed in captivity. So you had a far better chance of surviving if you weren't a prisoner under the Japanese. The other part of this is to pay tribute to the people who sacrificed so much to give us this freedom that we currently have, which we should not forget. We are so lucky to be living in this lovely world that we have today with so much progress. Yes, there are plenty of hardships, but we should remember that life could be a darn sight harder. And then the final thing is, in the story of Lost Ring Home is a, a story that for me is much more universal, and that's a story of love. How my grandfather, my grandmother maintained their love throughout this really just miserable experience. And then the, the fact that this ring that my grandfather had kept with him through the two and a half years in prison camp gets lost and then gets found again in the most ridiculous ridiculous circumstances 17 years later in another country, Korea, by somebody who knows somebody who happens to show it to an admiral who happened to be my grandfather's best friend. And you actually bring him back inside. Yeah. Otherwise, he was also forgotten. That's right. The whole story almost fell fallow. And after a while, I just started connecting with these people. And what I found was that the story, at its primal level, was relevant to many people. And afterwards, as I kept on telling this, like I was telling you about that dinner table discussion, what I found is that people related to the story. So the bigger story is a love story. It's a tragedy. It's a reminder that life could be so much harder and gives us perspective on even our little hardships that we have today. And I don't mean, you know, so many people have really tough situations, of course, but on balance, I feel I'm, I'm privileged, I'm lucky, and, and I want to pay tribute to that. So there's my desire, at least on a personal level, but then on a bigger level, it's an opportunity to express our emotions, to remind us of what's important. And one of the things that I learned through this was the idea to be able to really express emotions. I was brought up a little bit on the older generation, stiff upper lip. Don't, you know, shed a tear. Don't show your weakness. Is it a little bit aristocratic way of bringing up children? Well, certainly in Britain, that's the way we're brought up. <laughs> and I subscribe to it. I think that at some level, it's not necessary to show every emotion, not from a public image standpoint, mm -hmm. but because just suck it up. Life is hard. And if you're whining and moaning over this little thing, wait until it gets bad. Belittled, right, by others who say if you're whining in the public... Well, you could be. I mean, if you're in public school, you, you certainly, you know, sh shamed for, yeah. for whining or something like that. So outside of the public element of it, I think from more from a gestalt mm -hmm. and an ability to present yourself in this world, one does need to know that life is hard and hardship is part of our journey. And it's how you deal with that hardship that's going to help make you. Life is hard. Life is hard. Yes. And... Um it's amazing that for someone you have never met before and you can get so familiar with him, it's a spiritual sort of um, bond between you and your grandpa, right? Yeah. Um, how long yeah. time you spent on doing such a, the whole thing? Well, 
I had no mission like that. But once I started developing the story, it started to gather. And then just going back to the timeline, 2001 happens, finally my father's embedded and he, he buys in. 2004, we go to the Philippines to see where my grandfather was killed. We, we marked the spot 60 years later. And then in 2014, I get a Skype message. And the Skype message is, hey, Minter, it's Josh. Do you remember me? And I'm like, no, Josh. Nope. Um, so he says, well, no, no, but uh, we met 13 years ago. Oh, well, no wonder I don't remember you. <laughs> Where? <laughs> oh, but you're not the Josh I met on a Tuesday afternoon in an Irish pub at three o'clock and we had several Guinness together. That'd be the one. Josh and I had set up a rendezvous three months before September 11. At the time, he was a 23-year-old film student at NYU. And 13 years later, we shared stories that night, that afternoon. 13 years 13 later. 13 years later, he Skypes me out of the blue. Hey, Josh. 13 years after the 9-11. That's it. Oh, my goodness. He says, Minter, do you remember me? It's Josh. I'm now 37 years old. I've done three feature-length films, and I want to do your film. Oh, that's how you met him. So you have already piles of materials about your grandfather already there by doing the research for the sake of your father, for the sake of memorizing your ancestors or forefathers. Exactly. But at the same time, at this time, 13 years after 9-11, a film producer came to you. Exactly. And you met? Because he wanted to learn about my life. I was 37. He was 23. And he was. And 13 years ago, you met. Uh, we met in New York on, on September what occasion? 11th. Oh, okay. Tuesday afternoon, September 11th. We had set this up three months ahead. And in the morning, we managed to connect with one another. And I said, all right, whatever. Let's keep the meeting because it took us three months to get this one done. And if you can imagine, we held it. So this 37-year-old, you know, running Redken and this film student meet and we share some beers and we talk stories. That's three months before 9-11. No, that, that, that happens on, on September 11. That meeting happens at three o'clock on September 11 in Manhattan in an Irish pub. And I don't remember the name. O O'Leary's, I think. On the very day, 9-11. Three o'clock. You guys decided to do the documentary. No. No. We meet that day. Yeah. For the first time. For what purpose? Just to, he wanted to know about what it's like to do a corporate job. How did I get my life? How did I do this? It has that. nothing to do with your grandpa. Nothing to do with it. Ah. He was just a film student, 23 years old. Where did he get your name? Well, because he went to Yale University, as I did. And so he Are found you, me as an alumni. Uh, Okay, alumni. He just wanted to talk to That's someone, yeah. alumni, yeah. to learn, like a mentor That's thing, it. right? Nothing to do with the story, the film, or 9-11. It was just supposed to be, hey, can you teach me? Just a social yes. kind of thing. But why 13 years later? Because he realized that you were doing the book? Nope. He just remembered the afternoon we had. And he said, oh my gosh, this is what I need to do. And so he found me, contacted me, says, Minter, it's been 13 years. I've never forgotten the story that you told me. Have you done anything with it? I'd like to do the film. And that's how we end up making the small budget heirloom. 
That movie was made in England, right? It was made in England, but it's been shown primarily. And the initially, the money is uh, self-budget. That's and right. then later, somebody put in more sort of oh, investment? Yes. Well, as soon as I had to go from the heirloom, the small family version, to public television, which means you have to pay for rights, you have to make it a certain quality, and it had to be longer, it needed a whole other round of funding. So I did a crowdsourcing campaign. Is your book selling well? And the book is selling fine. I mean, it's a hardback. It's designed to be a great read. And I'm not interested in, in a Harlequin novel type thing. I just want it to be read by people who found it interesting. And and uh, I also wanted to be true to the experience before. And I didn't use any techniques to make it anything more than Special a, effects. No special no. effects. No, neither That's in the film wonderful nor in the book. I wanted to stay real. From now on, there won't be any authentic movies like yours anymore. I think all movies are using special effects. It's true. Um, I wonder what your parents wanted you to become. I think to be a good person. Just to be a good person. Yeah. Whatever you do doesn't really matter. My mom was much more open and evolved, I would say, at a certain level. And your father? My father, he was probably he is and has been more interested in in the appearance of corporate success and so on. But he's come to a different place. He and himself is a works in what sort of field? Well, he worked in the automotive space. Oh yeah, yeah, Ford, very, Ford, Ford, very successful. Yeah, did a lot of things. He was the chairman of the hospital of the American Hospital of Paris for thirty years, and he had a great career. Does he want you to inherit? No. Be a, like an auto industry. No, he, I think he's come to a place where he recognizes that I have a different place and a different role. And he's not okay with all my ideas. He certainly thinks I'm a little bit far-fetched on some of this area, too much purpose. Too idealistic. And, too idealistic, yeah. but it's okay. I serve a purpose. I, I'm okay not to please everybody. I want to touch some people as much as I can. And that's what I'm, you know, on this earth for. All right. You think that you cared more about how your kids look yeah. at you. So I have What a, do you want them? Right. So I have a daughter and a son and and one of the ways I articulated my north when I was um uh, so this has been around about 2006 when I was in Paris. So that's 13 years ago. I decided to write and craft my north direction and who I wanted to be. And one of the images I had was well when I'm very old and we're celebrating my birthday and, you know, I'm in, you know, say hopefully a grandfather, whatever. What would my kids say about me at that point? And so I, I spent some time thinking about that. And I want to hold myself up to that standard, which is to try to model the behavior that I hope that they will appreciate. It's not to say that you need to be like me or this is how you should be. It's just to be the way I should be. And, you know, that means managing situations which are tough and showing who I am to the best of my abilities. I, I'm not a kind of emotional person. I kind of be more reserved in my emotions and expressing my opinions. But I try to, let's say, at least through my actions on a regular basis to be the person I would hope to be. And so I, I think about the way that they're going to appreciate that. So that means how I'm interacting with other people, not just for them or with them, but in general, as well if as If your son them. and your daughter, what words or descriptions you want your son and daughter to describe you? Hmm. So my daughter would probably say, well, you're like me. Uh, we're, we're quite birds of a of the same feather, very energetic and uh, generally very positive, sometimes overly optimistic. My son would think of me as constantly busy, maybe not enough time for him. These are the kinds of qualifications that he might add for me right now. Competitive in general. 
And um, your wife. Oh, and my wife. Well, she and I have an extraordinary relationship. We've been married for 24 plus years. And um, what's and her comment on you? So, um, a good husband. Uh, she she would say I'm I'm pretty much a good husband. I have my weaknesses. I'm not always there for her. Uh, I travel a lot, and I have a lot of audiences I'm dealing with, if you will. And as a result, therefore, I can be distracted and not pay her enough attention. You know, she's an extraordinary individual. Has brought to me a lot to who I am and how I look at things and people. I hope to be doing the reverse with her. And uh, we've been a very complimentary couple. Uh, I'm very independent. She's allowed me that independence. Talking about empathetic, because you're preaching, huh? you're teaching or injecting. I'm talking about it. I you're better talking, be it. <laughs> hopefully selling it. But I'm asking the last question that how much do you know about your wife, how she would describe you? Being an empathetic person, you should know her, right? I, I, how she looked at you or how she is looking at you today. Right. Well, so <laughs> um, she has a little name for me, you know, like a code name for me. And uh, Is that secret? <laughs> well, it's sort of it's revealing. And I okay. don't mean to be, you know, applauding myself, but it's uh -huh. a very lovely word uh, which talks about beauty. And it's it's more the beauty within that she's focusing on. And um, she doesn't always say it. What is that word? Well, it's, it's a French word. It's beauté, which means beauty. And, oh. But it, it's always her way of saying that's what's important. So you are her beauty, right? That's it. Great. Thank you for coming to the studio. Thank you so much. It's been my great pleasure. A jack of all trades, Winter says he enjoys doing many different things, whether being an entrepreneur, zoo manager or tennis pro because each of his careers gives him the energy to jump out of bed and do what he needs to do and there's no doubt he believes he can be a better speaker who can move people to make a better world and that's the end of our show i'm manling thank you for joining us please rate us because the more stars we get the easier it is for other people to find the show. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.